Welcome to the Manuscript Academy podcast, episode 008, a conversation with Kirsten Armada. I'm Jessica Sinsheimer. And I'm Julie Kingsley. And we are the Manuscript Academy. Welcome, Kirsten. Hi, thanks for having me. Tell us a little bit about yourself. Oh, gosh, from the start, from day one? Sure. Uh, I'm going to skip uh, the first, you know, 18 years or so because they, I was slept through most of them. Um, so there's nothing of interest there. But I guess uh, how I got into publishing is a good place to start. I ran a lit mag in undergrad, uh, which I hate saying. I feel like so like a jerk when I say undergrad instead of college. Like you mean college, like versus the other degrees that you got. No. So I ran a lit mag in college and uh, it was the first time I had been involved with writers. I had always been friends with writers, but the first time I had been involved with getting their work actually in print in this physical item. And it was just the coolest experience to see them hold this printed item that had their work in it and to see them, you know, taking extra copies for their family and things like that. And I even had family members that were long distance emailing me and asking if I could ship copies of the magazine because their granddaughter was in it, things like that. Uh, So that was a very exciting kind of pivotal moment for me when I realized that people do this for a living. People are involved with publishing actual real books. Uh, So that started everything for me. And then I did a program at Columbia over the summer to figure out what exactly is publishing, what do people do in it, what could I do in it. Um, And that went from there. I tried publicity and I hated it. It's kind of a huge bummer, honestly. I really respect the people who do it full time because it is rough. It is a rough gig. Uh, and so I went to agenting instead. It's kind of the reverse instead of end of the process. It's the very beginning of the process. And that made all the difference in the world to me. So uh, fast forward a few years, here I am, my first gig in agenting. Um, I got it actually while I was doing a publicity internship. And I got a part-time assistant gig at the Lots Agency which uh, has a very cool history. They work with a lot of big-time authors. They do foreign rights for George R. R. Martin and Stephen King, and um, they do, most importantly for me, they do the rights for um, Connie Willis and Robin Hobb, which I have loved for a very long time. And so in my interview, I was just this huge fangirl. I was just talking about Robin Hobb the whole time, how obsessed I am with all of her books. Um, and they were like, this is a girl who will take good care of our contracts because she will not mess this up for Robin. Um, so I think that's what got me got me the gig, honestly, being a huge fangirl. I feel like that helps. Like so many people come in to interview for us and they have no idea what we do. Mm. And it's such a it's such a crazy thing that like almost nobody personalizes their hi, please hire me letter. It's usually dear hiring manager. I want to work with you because of these reasons for me. I would like an income, which yes. is valid. But... <laughs> yeah. But why do you want your income to come from here? You know, that sort of thing. I think it's interesting. I think there's this whole thing, like this theory of energy where, you know, like if you can actually find like the whole like energy and like energy, like you can really f- carve out an interesting space for yourself and you did that you know you went in there yeah. and you showed them how passionate you were and that changed everything or, or put you in a, a position to really you know take that to the next level so it's awesome right. so tell us what you do when you're not working when I'm not working 
gosh. Well, when? When is that exactly? <laughs> when am I not working? <laughs> um, well, in the rare moments, I find myself not working. Uh, of course, I like to read for fun, but honestly, like anyone who talks to me for any amount of time will find out that I'm constantly having a crisis over, you know, am I reading enough for fun? Is it is my fun reading becoming work reading? Am I really relaxing now? Is this fun? Um, which I think a lot of us publishing are kind of having that that push and pull. So I like to honestly, in my free time, do other things that aren't text related. I knit a lot, which is such a relief to just focus on something that I'm making with my hands and not really be up in my head and and thinking critically about text. Um, I like to watch horror movies a lot. Um, that's my big thing, uh, which I, I didn't expect you to go there. You're like knitting. I'm like, oh, it's <laughs> right. so nice. Like, like, grandma. <laughs> <laughs> I do. That's my other thing. Um, and sometimes it's not good for me because I watch like four in a row and I, I wake up in the middle of the night, like convinced there's an old lady in front of me. Um, it just happens. But I, I know they're so much fun. They're, they can be trashy. They can be really well done either way they're fun so need more people to watch them with me oh, that's or you know i'm just gonna put it out there to you if you ever want to come to maine there's a huge indie horror scene here oh my god i love that and, you know you just never know you could be like drowned in the harbor or you could be you know a zombie i don't love good that. never mind i take it back i don't <laughs> I was at this conference once and this woman came up to me and she looked so innocent and so sweet and she's like telling me about how she makes all these horror films and then throughout the conference she was like, can I kill you, Jessica? Can I kill you? Like, no. <laughs> I think I'd be kind of traumatized like seeing myself die on screen. I like, actually think you'd be great. Being dead? Thanks, Julie. No problem. <laughs> I think you could perform like a really great death scene. But I agree. Like it would, it would freak me out to like see myself like – like, I think you could be really fun and campy with it, but I personally would also not want to watch myself die on screen. Yeah, I feel like that's got to be bad for you. Effects nowadays, they're too real. Yeah. I mean, yeah. if it was like really hor I don't know if that'd be better or worse if the effects were really good and realistic. But going back to what you said about it, like suddenly seeming like work to read, I totally get that. That's so rough. Sometimes I go into Barnes and Noble and I'm like, wait, am I here for me or here for research? Right. Exactly. Am I on the clock? Is this fun? Is this what fun feels like? So what would you do in an alternative universe with no publishing? Right. That's the big question. Um, honestly, I think I'm really lucky that I kind of fell into publishing that the idea occurred to me that publishing exists because I really had no other plans for things that I really enjoyed. My plan previous to that was, okay, so I'll go into marketing um, make a decent income and um, not really care about my job and get all my satisfaction out of work, which I think is a valid thing. I don't think people have to define themselves by what they do. I think you can find fulfillment out of your career. Um, but that would that would probably be me. I would just be like reading on my lunch break and like trying to sneak a book into meetings and otherwise like rising up the corporate ladder. Uh, but thank God that's not what happens. Yeah. I mean, there's still time. <laughs> I think there are probably a lot of people in publishing who can't imagine doing anything else. It's tough because it's like, well, this is perfect. So, yeah, I don't know. Like, are there – do people do other jobs? I might like to have a garden. That could be nice. 
What would you grow in your garden? Practical things. I'm so, I, I guess I haven't told you this, but I am so like into the idea of getting rid of just like y- yards that are full of grass, like useless, like we're wasting our land, our suburbs, we're wasting all of those. We could be growing sustainable like vegetable gardens or practical flowers or like medicinal herbs. Like I, I, we need to go back to that. Like people need to grow real things other than grass. Like, Victory gardens. Exactly. What is a practical flower? Something that animals would eat. Oh. A marigold. See, I don't actually know anything about plants. That's the one. <laughs> That's the one. I'm also really bad at taking care of plants. So you see, this is the downside to that plan. But I would love to learn. I would love to take the time and learn and actually like appreciate the difference in soil, I guess. That's like a thing. Just like be outside and be more in tune with that because I – I never go outside currently. Yeah, I, I, you're like you're like you're like a book farmer. <laughs> I grow the seeds, you know. So I you are <laughs> you are growing things. I love that, you know, like this this building and this like creating. And I feel like if if you think of that, like all the things you're talking about, knitting and and kind of like these, it's it's really kind of moving back to a simpler time. Like, so are you someone that that really likes simplicity? Um, I don't know if it's that I like simplicity, simplicity, but I do like seeing something start to finish. I love seeing how something small can become this much bigger item um, and the whole process. And I think, you know, I'm very pro-technology. I love what it can do for us and how it can make our lives easier and more accessible Um, but I think we have become disengaged from the process of what it takes to make a lot of the things that we use and the things that make our lives easier. And so I would, I like that. I like that process. So what's something you've changed your mind about during your time in the industry? Right. So when I first started, and I think most of us go into agenting and publishing in general for this reason, um, it's. You know, you want to work on books that you just, that you're passionate about, that you're in love with, um, that you see that you know it's going to connect with other people and other people in the industry might not see it, but you know it. Um, and so when I first started building my list, that those are the books I was looking for. And I briefly had this crisis. I have many of these uh, where, and I think, I think all agents kind of have this thought at some point where you you wonder maybe these passion projects I have maybe this isn't the right tactic like maybe I'm not maybe I'm being naive maybe I'm being too idealistic maybe I should be looking for you know what's the balance between marketable versus passion project right maybe I am too far on one side right maybe I'm looking too much for books that I want versus books that will actually appeal to the market um and so I briefly had that where I was like, okay, I'll be a cold, hard business side. I'll give it a try. Um, and it's just, it's not, and I, so I changed my mind back, back. It's just not sustainable to think of it that way. You know, when I think of the amount of hours I put into the manuscripts I work with, I can only work with projects I love. There's no way I could spend, you know, hours and hours and all this time but also this like energy and this frustration and the happiness and the sadness that goes in with submitting things and like hoping they work 
Um, there's no way I could do that with something I didn't care about that I didn't that wasn't a passion project in some way for me. And so I I changed my mind on it, but then I changed it back. I was like, no, I was right from the start. Um, but I, I had to go through that kind of push and pull of of where is the balance there to to be firm in my decision to pursue things only that I really believed in. And I think something special happens when you really, really care about a project. Like suddenly all the hours that you put in, you're not, it's not something that takes energy away from you. It's something that gives you energy. So you can just keep going. And yet if it's something that, you know, you're just taking on for practical, I guess, reasons, uh, somehow that starts taking energy away from you. And it seems so much harder than something that you really, really love, even if it's, you know, hardly any hours. But also, you know, you say practical reasons, but it's also more like imagined practical reasons. Mm -hmm. Because, you know, you'll take it on thinking like, well, I'll bring this on just because I think maybe there's a market there. Um, But realistically, you're going to do a better job selling things that you actually believe are fantastic in some way. So those practical reasons is actually more practical, I think, was the conclusion I came to to work with stuff that I love because I'm going to pitch those better. I'm just going to do a better job with them. Um, Yeah, and also if you don't feel passionately about it, why would somebody else? Right, exactly. And I I need to be able to find that reason to convince someone to buy it. Mm -hmm. So if I can't come up with a reason why they should be passionate about it, I'm out of luck. I feel like I I can just feel all these writers just tapping on my shoulder right now. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I like and they're saying, well, what is the passion project? Like, what is your passion project? I'm like, how can I not ask that? The thing is, I can't. That's why I, I do the MSWL tweets, um, but I try to leave them kind of open because I love to be surprised. And I feel like you don't know ahead of time. So many times I request stuff. I'm like, this could be good. This could be good. Could be interesting. Sure. Yeah. Send it to me. Um, and it's not until you're partway through the manuscript and you can feel it. You can feel it. There's this like feeling of excitement. And once you've felt it, you can't mistake it. Mm-hmm. Um, you know exactly what it's like. Um, this feeling of excitement, this, oh, my God, like I hope that they can stick the landing. Like if this stays as good, like I'm going to offer rap. Like I know it. And you're just like on the edge of your seat racing through trying to read the rest of it, like to see if it stays just as good. Ah, so I love it. It's like the perfect bl- blind date or something. Exactly. It's, it sounds, and I know that's not encouraging because you just know, but you do. <laughs> you do just know when you're reading it. Well, but don't we want this to be something of a magical process? Right. I think the whole industry, it's, you know, readers, I, I guess some people work with very businessy nonfiction, and so that's a little different. But when you're working with fiction in particular, readers are drawn to the books and they don't always know why these books move them and affect them and they can't really like chart it out but it is this emotional experience um, and can feel very magical when you find the right book at the right moments yeah I was talking I was talking with an editor this week about how um, we all kind of pick up all these little indicators in our environment and we don't always necessarily know about it consciously like people often have an expression that lasts for a seventh of a second and people often you know just put out all these vibes and you don't know why but you just feel something and I almost wonder if it's the same with books if we're just picking up on these little tiny indicators that all come together for us in this intuitive feeling and later maybe we could go back and pick out what was working but first we have to get it on that level right absolutely I don't 
when I'm first reading a manuscript, uh, a requested full, I'm never reading really with an eye towards editing. Um, ideally, once I sit on it and I think on it after I've read it, I like to have a vision for where the book could go. But that first read, it's all about the feeling. It's all about how the reader is going to be approaching it. Uh, and they're not going to be sitting there going, well, you know, they used this, you know, device at this time. Uh, it's all about like, well, does it work? What do you wish writers knew about things on your side of the desk? On my side of the desk? Um, that I'm always, I'm always looking like I'm, I'm doing this constantly out of a sense of hope that I'm going to find the next one that I'm in love with. I'm not going through uh, with an eye towards, you know, saying no to everything. Of course, there's sometimes where I'm going through hundreds of queries and it's kind of late at night um, and I want to be done with my inbox. Um, but I want to, at the end, have found a lot of really cool things that I'm excited about. Um, and the fact that all of us in this industry, honestly, do go into it for love of the books and because we really believe in this because honestly like we didn't go into it for the money ha. none of us went into it for the money. <laughs> we're all perfectly qualified to be making more money in a different industry like the people i've met are just like very smart very dedicated very hardworking, and that can translate to you know somewhere else making much more um so the fact that we're doing this is we believe in it and we want to be here um, and we want to be working with authors and we want to be a part of making this kind of this magic happen. Uh, so as I'm going through my inbox, as I'm reading requested things, it's all with an eye towards towards building that that dream of of, of making this magic happen. And so I'm always rooting for people, you know, as I'm reading a manuscript, I'm rooting for it to be good and to stay good when it gets good, that kind of thing. I'm never rooting for someone to fail. Um, I'm always opening the next email like, yes, this could be the one because it, it could be and sometimes it is. Um, so. Do yeah. you also find that I, maybe this is just me, but sometimes when I'm reading queries and I say yes to one of them, I'm more likely to say yes to something else soon after do you have that happen I do think there's that kind of positive feedback loop going on not the right word to describe it but yeah definitely I get I get a, it builds that sense of excitement um so I'm primed to be to re, to be positive about the next one and to request um and I get kind of in a roll I'm like yes send it send it send it all of it every one of you send it. <laughs> just takes the first one i call it agent yes mode agent yes mode see I, I always feel like it's me like as a dragon like i always feel like i'm sitting on this giant horde of like fantastic stories um and i feel that way about my clients like every time i sign a new client i'm like i feel like the dragon that's like like polishing its gold i'm like yes this is amazing i have this beautiful pile here it's exactly how i want it to be um, that's I. Whenever I have a huge inbox like stuffed full of requested manuscripts, I get so jazzed. I think that's such a great like image for the holiday season, of like you all with your hordes and your like, um, and and you know and I and I feel like too it's it's like it just once again shows that happiness that happens around this industry and that's you know we talk about how 
you know, it isn't for the money, but it is for the process and this 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 idea and this energy that it brings. Once again, kind of interesting theme we've brought up here. Um, I mean, it's great when it makes money. Yes. Don't get me wrong. Um, that's it is partly my job to be the the business practical side. You know, when my author is like, I don't care, let just sign any deal. I'm just happy to have it be published, which none of my authors have said. But if they did say that. It is then my job to be like, well, you know, what's, you know, what are they offering? What are the terms? Like, let's be practical. Your work is worth something. Um, and it's always uh, easier to do that for someone else other than yourself. Yeah. So the, they need they need someone on their side to do that for them. Right. right. Exactly. And I, I think that's the hardest thing for the creative is is to put the number on their worth for their their own creativity and their own work and what that means. Do you have a memory of your early days in New York City? I do. I have a very vivid one, actually. Uh, so I, like I said, I did this program at Columbia. So I was living up in the dorms um, and meeting all these people now who are kind of like my cohort in publishing, like spread to the winds. Um, and I, we had a very packed schedule. So we didn't have that much time to go on adventures into the rest of the city. And Columbia campus is beautiful and lovely, but it's not the rest of New York City. So one day, uh, my little group decided to go to a movie, which sounds great, but uh, these people were not from New York either, and they decided to go to a movie in Times Square, which is the worst choice anyone can make ever. Um, So this was my first outing in New York City. This was my first outing, uh, the movie theater in New York Square, and it was nighttime, um, and I vividly remember walking around and just being like, this is the worst. Like, I hate this. <laughs> like, I feel like I'm in a parking garage, but I'm inside. Like, to me, New York City all of a sudden was one giant parking garage. Oh, no. um, it was gross. It was smelly. It was, like, lit up, even though it was nighttime. Um, it was the worst. I had a terrible time um, because it was packed. It was a weekend, Times Square. Um, yeah, I was like, this is not the city for me. I don't know what I'm going to do. I love publishing, and but I hate this city. It's terrible. Um, and I remember being such a grump. Um, and obviously, I revised my opinion. I started going to areas of New York City that aren't terrible. Um, <laughs> and I ate a lot of food, and that's what keeps me hooked here. I can't leave the food. I'm not going to go back to suburb food. I refuse. You can't make me. <laughs> um, what are your favorites? Oh, my gosh. Uh, the fact that you can get, like, handmade noodles, um, handmade pasta for pretty decent prices at just about any Italian place. Now when I go to back home to visit my parents in Ohio um, and I go to an Italian place, I'm like, so these are, what, dry noodles? <laughs> you, you boil them in, in, in water? Like, I could do at home. Like, I paid you to make dry noodles. <laughs> like, I could do at home. Um, and it's just unreal to me because now I'm used to, you know, this just amazing top tier stuff. And of course, dumplings. In fact, I could buy a huge sack of Vanessa's dumplings and they're amazing. It's, it's too much. It's a gift. The food in the city is a gift. Have you ever made your own pasta with one of those crank machines? I have not. I'm sure you have. I I have. It's really (laughs) fun. It's like Play-Doh you can eat. I don't really have the kitchen space for it, but I, I put plastic on the floor. I'd figure it out. Like, whatever. And Fairway has really, really good fresh pasta, too. If you were a superhero, what powers would you have? Oh, gosh. I love this. Uh, Definitely teleportation. Uh, Then I would never have to ride the subway again. (laughs) 
Never, ever in my life. Um, I could go to Queens and visit people without it having to be like a day long, like excursion. Um, that would be amazing because I never see the people. It's honestly, it's crazy. The fact that my best friend lives, you know, a couple boroughs away and I see her like once a month, maybe twice a month because it's just such a trek for one of us to go. Yeah, it's like an hour each way at least. It's crazy. And I guess I've adjusted somewhat because back when I lived in the suburbs, if I had to drive an hour to go somewhere, I would never go to that place. Yeah. Uh, Never. Uh, So the fact that I'm used to the subway. But yeah, teleportation. You never have to deal with that. I already don't have a car, so that's fine. That's a good one. I would love to never fly again. I wonder if you could bring food with you. Yeah, that's the tricky part. Like, how much can you teleport other people if you're touching them? Like, is this like, is this like the Harry Potter thing? Do I need a certificate? I don't. <laughs> um. So, what's your number one tip for writers? My number one tip for writers: chill, chill out, <laughs> relax. Um. Honestly, if people are listening to you know this podcast, if they're so in tune with what's going on that they they know about this resource. They know about the resources that you link to. I think they're really in good shape. You know, they're going to avoid the really huge pitfalls um, that are like actually write a query letter. Don't just send me two lines saying read my book. Um, they're not going to do that kind of thing. And I think once you know basically the professional norms, you're set. You're good. Um, and you can kind of take a breath and relax and focus on you know, finding the best home for your work and all of that. Are you ready for a question from Twitter? Yes, I'm ready. Love Twitter. I know that you're on it. I am. exciting. Do you want to share your your profile? Your at? Yes. Well, uh, my at, I believe, is at Kirsten Armada. uh, K-U-R-E-S-T-I-N-A-R-M-A-D-A. Yeah, I love Twitter. It's such a great water cooler for publishing I love hearing what everyone else is up to like cheering everyone else on uh, sometimes I have to, t- have to take a break when everyone's very mad about things so I just sort of <laughs> peek in and I'm like oh we're still angry okay and then I leave uh, well this is such a great question and this is yeah, from Marco Owen um, she says often agencies will tell querying writers to know the market how deep is this knowledge expected to be oh I love this one because this is part of the chill thing <laughs> that I said. Um, I think, I don't, ex- personally, I don't expect it to be, you know, know the past 20 years of your genre, uh, back to front, be able to write me a thesis on it. Nah, I don't expect that kind of thing. But I do expect it to be recent and up to date. And I think that can be what gets some people, particularly when it comes to YA and middle grade. I feel like I don't encounter this as much in the adult genres, but you'll get people working on projects in YA and middle grade, and the last time they've read it was when they were in that age group, and so that can really be disappointing to hear because I want it to be recent. It doesn't help me if you read the classics 20, 30 years ago. I don't know how old the person in question is, however long ago. Um, you need to be reading what's up to date. And so not everything, not everything on the shelf, but be aware, you know, what's getting reviewed really well in like major trade publications and what's 
selling really well. You know, even just go into bookstores, see what the face outs are, you know, what the booksellers are promoting, that kind of thing, and read those. Uh, because otherwise, you don't know what is working with kids nowadays and what's doing well and what the trends are. And you don't know if you're writing something that's has been done, that you're on the tail end of a trend. Or you just have to be in conversation with other books that are coming out. So you can say, yes, this person read XYZ. They will probably like my book. MSWL in general, like I know I mentioned that like I use it sparingly and I try not to be too specific. You know, I do do that thing where you like retweet a cool story and you're like, MSWL, like hashtag. But I do find it very useful. I mean, I've signed... I'm going to go right now to my client's query that she sent me. I still distinctly remember her citing my MSWL tweets, how psyched I was about her query. Um, (laughs) So here, let me say She says, I read on Twitter about your interest in spec fic, female criminal masterminds, and bisexual protagonists. And I was like, yes, you're right. I I am into those. And then she went on to describe the, the book, and I was like, I was so I was so on it. I was so excited. I requested the partial, and she already had an offer of rep. And I freaked out. And I read it over the holidays, and I signed her. But like, she these were these were my tweets. She had, but she didn't copy paste the tweets. She like cited the stuff I was looking for from the tweets without copy pasting it. So it works. It works on me absolutely when people start off by saying, "I know you're looking for this," and I'm like, "You're right. You got me." So if you had Google-level funding and the ability and encouragement to spend 20% of your your time making something, what would you make? Honestly, like, I would probably just buy the most, like, expensive yarns in the world. But then I would knit them and I would just give them away to people. Like, I was, like, I don't know, like, homeless people maybe, but, like, anyone who wants one. Like, I'll just be out on the street. Like, here's a really expensive cashmere, hand-knitted, good. Please take it. Because I like to knit them, but I, I have enough. (laughs) <laughs> I don't need any more. Tell us about something that isn't nearly as scary or hopeless as writer's fear it is. So I think, I know it sounds so bad because I'm on the other side of it, uh, but I think the query process really isn't as bad or scary as people think. I genuinely believe that if someone is a solid writer with a solid grasp of their story and a, has investigated some of the professional norms, they can write a solid query letter. You know, of course, you can always refine it and make it bigger and better and sharper. But I think you're going to write a solid one that's going to at least tell me what your story is about. If you tell me what your story is about, like you've done it, you've succeeded. Um, And I think people really stress less so about the middle part, which is to me the most important part, what your book is about. And I see a lot of stress about the surrounding stuff. You know, what order should I put it in? Uh, what should my bio say? Like, what if I haven't written anything before? What do I put in the bio? And that stuff, it's all fluff. It doesn't really matter. I mean, I read the bio, but I don't, I don't really care um, when it comes to standing side by side with what the book is about because that's what I care about. And um, I know people feel like it's my one shot, you know, it's make or break, If this is not good, they're going to throw me in the trash and they're going to blacklist my name and everything that comes in after this, they're going to be like, I remember that woman. Her (laughs) book was terrible. Um, And that's just, it's not the case. It's okay. You can chill. Um, I would focus more on the book, less on the query letter. But I guess that's not very reassuring because what do I know? 
Well, and also we're not going to remember. I love how people always oh, yeah. think that we're personally remembering every single person and reacting accordingly, which is like, ha, I get 40 of you a day. So. Right. Uh, I will remember if you try to send me the exact same query letter and you change your name and the title, like it's a new book. Have people done that? People have done that. It's really weird. I don't understand. I don't know what the goal was with that scenario. But I I remembered. I searched keywords and I found it in my inbox. And she had changed her name and the title of the book. But otherwise, the letter was exactly the same. You know, um, I, I always keep a record of all the queries that come in just for searching, searching purposes like that. So if someone's kind of a jerk online, I'll like go find their query and I'll be like, I'll put a big tag on it. Like this person is a jerk. Just FYI. Right. Yeah. Um, but then there'll, there'll be the other side of things. And I forget, maybe I was talking to you, Jessica, one time and you were like, there's this manuscript and I really like it, but I haven't finished it yet. And I was like, this sounds familiar. Like, I'm pretty sure I've gotten this query. Um, and I like went back through my inbox and I was like, you were like, I, I, I don't know how I feel. I'm like, if you don't move on this one, like I have it, like <laughs> I, I might just offer myself. So <laughs> I haven't gotten to it yet, but you better hurry up. The perils of agent happy hours. <laughs> mm-hmm. Oh, that's That funny. is fascinating. <laughs> You know, the whole, the whole idea that, you know, you, you know your friends have a book and you might be interested in that book, but you have the friend and like what that means in the industry. I don't think anyone's ever really gone into that that much before. Um, just oh, kind of some insight. Yeah. I mean, there's definitely something to not talking in too much detail, but agents want to be very helpful. Like I'm more likely to be very helpful to other young agents I know and to be more open about things. Um, but there's some things that are, of course, like my agency exclusive that I won't really talk about mm-hmm. outside. Like I'm not big on sharing things like sublists. Um, I know some people are way more open about that. I'm, I might be like, I know this one specific editor who said she's looking for this thing in particular mm-hmm. that I know you're going out on sub with. Um, I didn't have anything for her, but I think you should send your project to her. But um, otherwise... I tend to keep those a little more private because they are a compilation of my other agents at my agency's uh, experience and their notes. And it's kind of like an in-house document. But Do you keep a big spreadsheet of uh, notes on editors? How do you do I it? do. Of course I do. <laughs> Granted, I'm, I take all my notes as hand notes originally. And so I have this like huge notebook full of like bullet points that I always wait and like transcribe like in bulk into my spreadsheet, which is not the best way to do it. But yes, I have my spreadsheet. Of course I do. What kind of agent am I? Oh, but there's so many ways to do it. I have a searchable document with keywords. And so that way um, I can find the person and then I can have all the notes that I took about that person. As soon as I got um, on the subway after our meeting, I'll just like write down everything I remember them saying. That's right. See, this is the kind of thing that like we'll share, like spreadsheet techniques and stuff like that. That's fancy. Just not the content of the spreadsheet. (laughs) Right. Exactly. (laughs) But I will definitely be like, oh, hey, you should go have lunch with this person. You would totally get along. Right. Absolutely. I've gotten that from other agents saying, you know, I'm putting you in touch with this editor. She mentioned she's looking to meet more agents like XYZ. Go forth. And I've done the same. And I think that's one way that we can be helpful to each other. Because, yes, we are kind of in competition. But at the same time, you know, I don't think someone's not 
going to like my book just because another agent sent them a book. Oh, yeah. You know, it's not going to work like that. It's it's really, it doesn't weigh in. I think, though, when I'm offering rep and someone is like, I already have offers from two other people, and I was like, I don't want to know. Because, like, if it's a friend, then I feel like that would just throw me off. I do want to know. If they decide to go someone else, though, I want to know who it was. Yeah, yeah, then. But, like, before that, I don't want to be like, who are you going with? Oh, my friend. Now I'm psyched out. Right. I, I never ask. And I have had um, authors tell me that the other agent is asking, and is it okay if they tell them that it's me? Oh, interesting. Um, and I was like, yeah, it's fine. And she went with me anyway. So, like, <laughs> uh, <laughs> Yeah, I never want to know because I figure it doesn't matter. Like, I'm not – all I can do is represent myself and what I have to offer as best as I can. And the author is a grown person with ideas about their own career. And, and they Google. Can and Google. And they can decide based on what I tell them if I'm a good fit or if the other person's a good fit. And I'm not going to try and go, oh, well, that person. And I've, I've heard about agents that, I don't know specifically, but agents that will badmouth the other people in competition, like specifically. You know, they'll be like, oh, well, I know this about her. Um, and compared to her, like, I'm the bee's knees. Um, and I don't think – I think that authors can really make the decision. They're best equipped. You know, they know what they want. They know their book. Um, they know who's the best fit for them. All I can do is give them all the information, you know, tell them everything about what I'll do and what I think about their book and leave it up to them. And if someone goes with someone else, like, it sucks. Like, I yeah. still, I'm still bitter about some of them. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I know we're supposed to play it really cool. But <laughs> it's a little bit of heartbreak because you love the book so much. Um, but I know that they made the best decision for them. You know, I wish them the best. And I really do always hope that the book works out because then I can go, you know, I had such great taste. I knew yeah. this book was going to be amazing. And it is. I was right. You were right. That's the perfect ending. I was right. <laughs> <laughs> I'd like to thank you so much for chatting with us. Yeah, yes. thank you. Thank you. Thank you for having me, even with my cold. <sighs> and, and for the rest of you out there um, that's listening in podcast land, if you wanted to go and subscribe to the Manuscript Academy podcast, that would be great. We'd also really appreciate your support by writing us a review. And happy writing, everyone. And you can also learn more about us at manuscriptacademy.com.